Well, happy Independence Day, everybody. Brian Sussman here. It's the 4th of July, episode 2023. More on me at briansussman.com. This is a special podcast I know you will enjoy and I know you're going to want to share. I'm going to be talking about patriots who are amongst the greatest role models one could ever imagine in this day and age when we're facing so much in terms of rapid change, when things are happening so quickly, efforts are underway to dismantle the United States of America as we know it. And it's way beyond just the woke. It has everything to do with climate change, of course. And it has to do with things like social equity and social justice. But at the end of the day, really what it's about, it's about the effort to destroy, as we know it, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I'm going to share some stories with you. And this will be brief. Won't take too long. I'm going to share some stories with you of some patriots from the founding of the United States of America that you've probably or perhaps have never heard of before. And not only am I going to tell you about the founders, and these are, these are guys who signed their name on the Declaration of Independence, but I'm going to tell you about their wives as well, because there were 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. And all those who ascribed their names on that document knew that by doing so, they and their wives and their families were going to become targets. Actually, it was 55 signers because one signer was not married. It was Benjamin Franklin. But the other 55 were married men. And they realized by signing that Declaration of Independence, their lives would be on the line as well as their spouses and their children. How many people would have the courage to do something like that today? I would hope to God that I would. I hope to God that you would. But this was monumental, friends. The other thing about this was that I believe, truly, all 55 of those men spoke about this with their wives. And I think these stories are going to illustrate that there was definitely some conversation that went down because these wives were every bit as patriotic or maybe even more so than their husbands. Where am I getting this information from? Well, actually... I wrote a book that was published in 2012 entitled Eco-Tyranny, How the Left's Green Agenda Will Dismantle America. This is in the afterword. Patriotic Role Models is actually the section of the afterword in which I talk about these patriots. So I'm literally going to be reading from my manuscript. And you know how it is with me. I'll be opining as well along the way. But... Let's begin by saying, let's begin with prayer. Lord, please bless our time together. I want to be inspired. I want to inspire others. Uh, in fact, friends, that's, that's, the, that's the slogan for this particular podcast, equipping and encouraging. I want to equip you to know the truth and know your Lord better. And I want to encourage you to go out there and be all that he, our God, would have you to be. So with that in mind, I often imagine the conversations that must have taken place between the signers and their wives 
prior to the vote to accept the Declaration on June 4, 1776. All of these men but one were married. Benjamin Franklin's wife had passed many years earlier. The family unit was very secure in those days, and the bonds of marriage were especially strong. There were 55 exchanges that must have sounded something like this. Husband, my vote and subsequent signature will guarantee vigorous persecution. The British and their allies might well come after you and our children. We will be despised by the crown, wife. But if we don't proclaim our independence, the children will grow up forever subservient to the king. Husband, we talk much of being ready to give all for this new land, our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. The battles ahead will not be easy. Wife, neither will liberty. Sign it. I believe there were 55 conversations that went down something like that. There are three signers whose lives have always been of particular interest to me. The first is a man named Richard Stockton. Richard Stockton. Stockton's grandparents came to New York about 1660, eventually settling near Princeton, New Jersey, where Richard would eventually be born in 1730. Stockton became a highly regarded attorney and in 1766 embarked for London where his legal skills were honored by the king. Upon returning home in 1768, Stockton was chosen as a member of the Royal Executive Council of New Jersey. Now, again, this is before we were a United States of America. We were still, we were still a part of the British Empire. Stockton was chosen as a member of the Royal Executive Council of New Jersey and eventually placed on the bench of the New Jersey Supreme Court. While it would have been natural for Stockton to remain a loyal and wealthy subject to the king, he longed for liberty and began to espouse the cause of the colonial patriots. The Provincial Congress of New Jersey elected him a delegate to the Continental Congress in 1776, where he became deeply involved in the debate for independence. On July 4th, he voted for the Declaration of Independence and, with the others, signed the document on August 2nd. So they agreed to it on the 4th. They signed it on the 2nd, about a month later. Soon after returning from his estate in Princeton, word came from the British Army. Word came that the British Army was coming through the area in pursuit of General Washington and his small band of soldiers. Aware that he, Stockton, was on the British hit list, he and his wife, Annis, hastily gathered their children and fled to a friend's farm some 30 miles away. They were fleeing for their lives. Can you imagine this? However, a neighbor who was faithful to the crown discovered Stockton's hideaway. He ratted on them. A group of loyalists stormed the farm and captured Stockton and presented him to the royal authorities. He was jailed treated extremely poorly, and nearly died of starvation. In time, Congress took up his cause and arranged a prisoner exchange to free him from his captors. Upon release, Stockton was in terrible health. He was able to secure transportation to his estate in Princeton and was shocked to find, okay, so here's the guy, he comes out of, out of prison where he nearly starved to death, now, he's finally able to make it home. Listen to this. I don't do this enough justice in the book, actually. 
He was shocked when he came to his estate to find the home destroyed. All of his livestock slaughtered. The horses gone. You know, these, these are the first things you see. Where's the livestock? Where are the horses? Oh my gosh, my house. And his wife and children in tatters. Robert Stock Richard Stockton never recovered from this, my friends. He suffered from chronic illness, depression, and eventually died in 1781 at the age of 51. And Annis and the children were cared for by family and friends. He went from a very wealthy, prominent uh, servant of the king to that. This is the spirit of liberty. This is the spirit of America. I want to tell you about one more man. Well, actually two more. But this next one is Francis Lewis. You probably never heard of him as well. He was born in Wales in 1713. He was orphaned at the age of five and raised by relatives. This guy had a rough life, but listen to what happened. After college, he was educated in London. He became a business apprentice and earnestly saved his money. And at the age of 21, he set sail for New York where he established an importing business. In 1756, during the French and Indian War, Lewis was a special aide to the British forces, supplying them with uniforms and other critical supplies. He was on business at Fort Oswego when a bloody battle broke out against the French aggressors. Lewis was taken prisoner and sent to France aboard a ship. Went across, friends, he went across the Atlantic Ocean housed in a little wooden box. He was a prisoner. That's a, I don't know how many months long journey it was, at least two, in a box. Upon his release at the close of the war, Lewis was rewarded for his service to the crown. He was given 5,000 acres of land in New York on Long Island. Again, while one might think such a man would be forever loyal to Great Britain, such was not the case for Lewis. He saw how the edicts from England were strangling freedom in the colonies and, according to, according to uh, historians, he held dearly to his Republican views. And this is a representative republic. It was founded on republican principles. This is not a democracy. It wasn't founded on democracy principles. Democracy leads to mobocracy. Can I tell you something? Karl Marx said it very well. He was all for democracy because he saw it as a bridge from capitalism to communism. We are a representative republic. Forgive me for getting so worked up here, but this is so important for people to hear. America is in the crossroad, at, the, at a crossroads. We're in the crosshairs of the communists. <sighs> Listen to this. Lewis' wife, Elizabeth, was also a devout patriot and fervently supported her husband when he was elected a delegate to the General Congress in 1775 and signed the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia the following year. Once the Declaration was signed, the British placed a price upon the head of Francis Lewis. He signed the document just like Richard Stockton. He went home. 
Before he was able to reach his home on Long Island, ground troops and a warship had been sent to his property to seize his wife and destroy the property. A servant shouted, run, mistress, run. Mrs. Lewis calmly required, listen to this. This is amazing. She watched, she watched the warships come from the balcony. I just want to give you some background. She watched the warships come from the balcony. She, she saw troops approaching her house. The warship on the balcony was firing cannonballs at her house. One crashed into a wall immediately next to her. That's when her service said, run, mistress, run. And here's what she said calmly. This is a brave patriot. She said, another shot is not likely to strike the same spot. And she refused to budge. She was looking those Brits in the eyes. The soldiers soon entered her home and destroyed everything. They went after, of course, the books and the papers, and they pillaged the property. And Elizabeth Lewis was taken to New York and thrown into prison. She was not allowed a bed or a change of clothing. She was given nothing to eat. A former family servant, someone who used to work for them. Now this was, let's be realistic here. These were, this was a former African slave who used to work for them, who was now freed. Discovered her location and was able to smuggle some small articles of clothing and some food for her. And he reported her whereabouts and conditions to Congress. What a good man. This is a guy who, he understood the American dream. He was helping the cause of liberty. God bless this man. I wish we knew his name. However, well, demands were made for her better treatment, but the British determined to make an example out of her because of her prominence and her wealth. General Washington was able to broker a prisoner exchange and Elizabeth was able to join her husband in Philadelphia. However, it was plain to everyone because of her lengthy mistreatment, she was broken in health. She was sinking into the grave. And Francis Lewis was soon asked, soon asked if he could take a leave from Congress to devote his whole time to his wife. She died in 1779. She was basically persecuted to death. Patriot, founder, liberty, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. This is what it's built upon. Stories like this. Elizabeth Lewis, you've never even heard of her. Grief-stricken, Lewis retired from Congress to live with his sons who took care of him. He was buried in an unmarked grave in the yard of Trinity Church. It's amazing. Go to Trinity Church in New York City. And it's, uh, you, see, you see all the founders. There's, I, I, you, you can't even find uh, his his headstone, because it's unmarked. I remember seeing Paul Revere's, it's tiny, there's Paul Revere, tiny. <laughs> the big one was, <laughs> the big, big one was John Hancock. But nonetheless, I digress, because we need a little comic relief here, before I tell you about the third patriot. <sighs> the third patriot, who selflessly endured great sacrifice for the sake of freedom, was a humble man named John Hart. He was a farmer. He was known as Honest John Hart in New Jersey, where he lived. 
Fellow signer Benjamin Rush described him as a plain, honest, well-meaning Jersey farmer, but with little education, but with good sense and virtue enough to pursue the true interests of his country. He was a justice of the peace. Uh, he was a freeholder. That was the highest position in government and county government. And in the pre-revolutionary legislatures of New Jersey, he also served. However, in 1765, he turned against the Brits over the imposition of the Stamp Act. He thought, this is unfair. You can't do this. The Stamp Act was a direct tax imposed on the colonies by the British Parliament. It was created to pay for British troops stationed in North America. And it mandated that virtually every printed thing, books, parchment, magazines, whatever, everything be produced on paper from London, carrying an embossed revenue stamp. And like previous taxes, the stamp tax had to be paid in valid British currency, not in colonial paper money. And the tax enraged colonists like John Hart. You know, it's just, it's too bad people don't get enraged by taxes today, isn't it? Because there's been a system that's been built to persecute those of us who rally against the system. It's called the IRS. Continuing. In 1774, Hart was elected to the first Continental Congress by the people of New Jersey and signed the Declaration of Independence two years later. Now listen to this. Immediately, Hart's life was noted with a series of tragic losses. Shortly after signing the Declaration, he was elected to the New Jersey State Assembly and chosen its speaker. So he went even to a larger state of prominence. Knowing he was busy leading the state legislature, royal mercenaries from the King of England, raided his farm, destroyed his livestock, terrorized his wife, Deborah. Upon learning of the raid, Hart immediately returned home and his wife was in bad condition. Hart was with her as she passed away on October 8th, 1776. This is two, two months after he signed that document. She was so terrorized by the Brits that she died. He found out as he was grieving for his wife just after she died. Now listen to this. It doesn't get any worse than this. He's grieving for his wife who just died. His grieving is interrupted by British troops who came onto his property. He runs for his life into the forest. His two youngest children ran in the other direction to the home of a relative. Hart spent that entire winter, and I'm telling you, it was a very cold winter. He spent that winter on the run, sleeping in caves, eating very little, once it became clear in the spring that the British, the British had vacated the area, he returned home. He was elected Speaker of the Assembly once again, but all accounts, as you read about Honest John Hart, his heart was broken. He soon became very ill, and he died at his home in 1779, three years after his wife died. 
three years after signing the declaration. You see, friends, Richard and Anna Stockton, Francis and Elizabeth Lewis, John and Deborah Hart, took literally the words of the Declaration of Independence, which states, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I pray for this nation. Oh, I pray for this nation. I pray for, after I'm long gone, the nation that my kids will be living in, my grandkids. I pray that there are patriots who rise up to stand up to tyranny, to hold firm to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's my prayer. And I pray it's yours as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Appreciate you. Go to Facebook as well. Please like my page. Follow me at Facebook because as I've described many times before, I'm so throttled on that platform. It's ridiculous. That's tyranny. And for daily doses of inspiration, it's my Instagram page at Brian Sussman Show. Facebook is Brian Sussman Show as well. Online, BrianSussman.com. God bless you, my friends. Enjoy your independence on this 4th of July. Until next time.